Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a great show for you today. I'll help you use your grief to find your purpose. I'll also be interviewing author and recording artist Michaela Foster Marsh. She shares with us her memoir, Star Child, that is about losing her adoptive brother and how it inspired her to find his biological family and start her charity in Uganda. Her story will inspire you to use your grief to create your own legacy. For more information about Michaela and to purchase her book, please visit www.michaelaonline.com or starchildcharity.org. Thank you so much for listening to Lifeology. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. Creating your own legacy. Life happens to all of us we will all experience some form of grief. And often we can become lost in that grief and lose our way. I always say, the greater the grief, the greater the loss. Often well-meaning people will say, well, you'll eventually get over it or just move on or just give it time. And yes, as we know, time does heal things, but it often minimizes the loss that we've experienced. So once you've experienced your grief and it doesn't happen overnight, but it is important to reflect on what's next. So as you're grieving, ask yourself, With this loss I've experienced, what can I do with it? How can I create something? How can I give back? How can I create a legacy for perhaps the person I lost or for the innocence that I lost or for the job that I lost or whatever it may be when you can use that grief to create a legacy or some way to even honor the person that you lost, the position you lost or whatever it may be. Because in doing that, it takes that unbearable grief and it allows you to become proactive with it. Meaning, as unbearable as it feels, something becomes of it. Something is created from it. Now you may think, well, James, I have no idea what that would be. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to figure it out today, but it is important to reflect on that. How can you take that loss and turn it into something? Or perhaps it leads you in the direction of where your life should go. I read about the lady who created MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. She found her purpose in creating that organization after her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. That is creating a legacy. So it doesn't have to be something as grand as that, but there is something you can do. So I really hope you understand this lesson in the way that it was intended, is that your loss, as painful as it is, that as you're grieving, and that's one of the most important things, is to also think, how can you create your own legacy of what you've lost? You're gonna hear a fantastic interview today with Michaela Foster Marsh. She took her loss of losing her adoptive brother, found his biological family in Uganda, and started her charity, Star Child. If you're anything like me, you love to read. Lifeology and Audible.com have partnered to offer you an incredible opportunity. Audible is offering you one free book download with a free 30-day trial. This is perfect for those of you who love to read but often don't have time to enjoy your favorite pastime. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to start your free trial. 
They have over 180,000 books from all genres. So I'm pretty confident your favorite author's books will be there. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible and start listening to your favorite book today. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to get started today. My guest today is Michaela Foster Marsh, author of the book Star Child, a memoir about Michaela's life with her adoptive brother Frankie and Michaela's journey to learn more about Frankie after his tragic death by finding his birth family in Uganda. Michaela is an acclaimed musician with three albums to her credit and the founder and executive director of Star Child Charity. She lives in Glasgow, Scotland, and has received a Prime Minister's Award for her work in Uganda. Welcome to my show, Michaela. Oh, thanks, James. Lovely to be here. I am looking forward to this. One of the great things about you is I've heard you sing, um, I've heard your albums, and you have this style, kind of like Sade, and everybody oh, loves Sade. Yeah, so you have a phenomenal voice. Yeah, she's. you both are phenomenal. So, thank you very much. Yeah, of course. I also heard you playing a little bit there. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. It's, yeah, I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. You have done so many things, and I, I'm so excited to, to talk about this because you have an amazing charity, Star Child Charity, uh, which was really influenced and impacted by your brother. So why don't you walk us through some of the, the earlier life experiences you had because you had such a phenomenal story with Frankie. Yeah, well, Frankie was um, adopted into our family at 13 months old and um, he was black, Ugandan, and he was identical in age to me. We were both 13 months old. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, and um, there was literally weeks between us, so we were pushed around Glasgow in a twin pram. Oh, in the late 60s and at, at that time nobody had ever really seen a black and white child together yeah. um, and transracial adoption was really literally unheard of so it was a very unusual thing and my, my parents actually hadn't set out to adopt a black child um, just to kind of give you some background they had actually said that they would accept a hard to place child mm-hmm. meaning a child that perhaps had a disability or maybe mm-hmm. some behavior issues yeah was a bit older a lot of um, people didn't want to adopt older children so they had put that on the application form that they would take a hard to place child and then the adoption agency got back to them to say that they had a little black boy at the home who had been hard to place and he was now 13 months and did they you know how did they feel about that mm-hmm. And my parents basically said they really didn't care about the colour of the child's skin as long as they felt they bonded with the child. Sure, that's beautiful. But if, Yeah, but if you think about it at the time, that was in 19... Well, he was adopted in 1968, so 1967. And, you know, we were in the height of the civil rights movement in America and Martin Luther King was assassinated mm. the year he was adopted. Oh, my gosh. So the world, it's almost like right now we're mirroring what was happening there mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. And I used to say to people that my parents, when they adopted Frankie, it was a really brave thing to do um, because it had never been heard of. Mm-hmm. And we were in the midst of all this upheaval and turmoil, which was filtering over to the UK. So, but people weren't really kind of taking it in just sure. even like six months ago. Mm-hmm. Really, it's not until more recent circumstances that people have began to, again, realize. And I think it's incredible, the timing of the book, you know, and they, they're now saying things like you just said, you know, about my parents and, and being able to take that, you know, quiet anti-racism stance at that time. 
Yeah, so progressive. So heightened. Yeah, and I hate to say so progressive because it shouldn't be progressive, but it was no, so it progressive. Be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like we're going backwards, mm-hmm. really, isn't it? Some things, yeah, definitely. That's for sure. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, Frankie came to stay with us, and and I have to say that. Um, I mean, the, the the adoption agency were really concerned that there could be territorial issues between Frankie and myself because we were oh. identical in age. <laughs> there were, and, and we really bonded. Um, oh, you know, good. I just he followed me around all over the place, and and um, the adoption agency soon allowed the uh, you know it to go ahead as it was just a foster, and they allowed the adoption to go ahead. Mm. And so we grew up together, got on very very well, went through you know all our school days together with most of all the same teachers. And, um, you know, we called each other twins from the day we went mm, into the classroom. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> so precious. And, I yeah. saw pictures of you two when you were little and it was adorable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. And of course, people would always stop my mom in the street and want to, to touch Frankie and, and uh, you know, Aww. play with his hair. And, yeah. you know, it's just the same way. And curiosity, that, that it wasn't so much that we were suffering from racism. I think my mom was overwhelmed by just how much curiosity there was. and. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, of sympathy too, um, you know, that that kind of garnered and um, because he was very different at that time. And I think Scotland is different maybe to America sure. at, at that particular point. So, you know, it was much the same as now when I go to Uganda, all the kids there want to touch me and they want to rub my freckles off. They think they can <laughs> lick, lick their finger and, and rub my freckles. They want to brush my hair. I mean, they, they, they have such different hair, wiry hair. Mm-hmm. They want to brush mine and they're just curious. And I just kind of stand there like, you know, some exotic creature. <laughs> like, you know, allowing them to just, uh, you know, touch me all over. Yeah. Like, you know? But I mean, that's basically what used to happen to Frankie in Scotland. Yeah. So I think my mom would laugh now if... if um, if she was here, she would be laughing at the, you know, <laughs> at the change. But um, so um, when we got into high school, yeah, there was some racism, but mainly outside of school, to be honest. How did he deal with that? Well, Frankie handled it really well. You know, he could have easily had a chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. considering he was black growing up in a white family and, you know, just um, with with some of the racial tension. But he had such a great sense of humour and he just mm. never let it get to him. Um, I don't know how, looking back, that he coped. I mean, it, it wasn't... I mean, don't get me wrong, Glasgow, he grew up very loved. I mean, over 800 people came to his funeral when he died. Mm. And the love far outweighed any racial prejudice that we suffered. But it was certainly there. I mean, sometimes we'd go into a bar and somebody would just refuse to serve you. Are you serious? I mean, I know that's happened in in all over the world still, but it's still... Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Frankie and myself, I mean, we would just tend to leave. If we knew that there was a hostility brewing, Mm -hmm. we would leave. Now, on occasion, that you couldn't get out of a situation, and there was certainly one night where a knife was pulled out in front of us, and it was horrendous. But we were very lucky on that occasion that a lot of people came to our defence. We seemed, again, he seemed to manage to to calm the situation with with just not wanting to to create, a, you know, a hassle. But mm-hmm. it could have so easily turned the other way. But he somehow managed to kind of talk this guy down from, you know, his anger and some of his own friends you know rallied so we did you know to say that I never faced I mean but the, the face of racism is so ugly and um but it certainly was in a, a minority at that point yeah um 
And like I say, he just had an ability to believe that most people would see past his colour mm. and deal with it with a, with a good sense of humour without getting defensive. He could fight. I mean, my dad had been in the boxing ring in his youth and so he taught Frankie a yeah. number of bobs and weaves and if he had to, to defend himself. Sure. Um, and, you know, occasionally that, that would happen. And, and um, But really, by and large, he had a smile on his face, very charismatic, mm. very attractive, um, you know, beautiful, tall African man. And, um, you know, he, he could charm people. Yeah, um, it sounds like it. Yeah, and and so I think that really helped him in life as well. Mm-hmm. He just he refused to allow it to identify him, um, and like I say, just the way he would have just you know hopefully people would just accept him um, for who he was. Wow. So he was a beautiful person. And unfortunately, he passed away. What happened? He died very tragically in an accidental house fire, and. Um, it was just a real fluke. Very, very sad. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was just um, a freak accident, the yeah. coldest night of the year, and the power had gone off. And during the night, the power came back on, and, and um, the, the electric fires that we oh, have gosh. here in sure. some flats, it, it, it caught fire on the, to the sofa. Um, so, yeah, it was the saddest, saddest mm. day of my life. I and I, I thought I would never recover from the loss of Frankie. But then you were inspired. You were inspired to go to Uganda. What happened? Well, I mean, it's a really, I mean, Frankie's life, I mean, really from the day he entered my life, he's been shaping my life and his death has shaped my life. His death propelled me into the recording studio to record a song that I'd written for him when he died for the family. And I ended up with a recording career. And then I was still going through the grief. And when I uncovered all the paperwork to do with his adoption after Uh my parents died, that started me on a journey of writing a fictional novel. Oh my gosh. So I had always been really curious about who this mother, who his parents were and his Uh family. And I mean, I think it stems back. There was one day we were in the bathtub together. We always get washed together in the mm-hmm. bathroom when we were young. That's and a picture you, I saw when you were little. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah you've seen it. Yep, yep. So um, we were about five years old and he turned around to my mum and said, if I scrub really hard, would I become white like Michaela? Mm. And until that point, I had never really thought about my brother as being different. I, yeah. I didn't know anything, you know, we were not born with that sense of, you know, oh, you're black and white kind of, you mm-hmm. know, or racist indeed. But, you know, I just kind of saw Frankie's Frankie. And yeah. I was like, why does he want to be the same color as me? He's black. That's okay with me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, And of course, I was like saying to my mom, oh, I just want to rub off my freckles. I don't <laughs> like my freckles. Yeah. And then my mom was trying to explain to us about the melanin and the skin. And Frankie was pushing like, well, but why do I have black skin, you know? And she was trying to explain that his biological family came from Africa and, you know, just the way she spoke about Africa and, and, and you know, this family, I, you know, they'd obviously had to give him up and, you know, we couldn't hide Frankie's adoption and, yeah. you know, everything was cloaked in secrecy in those days, but you really couldn't hide Frankie, hmm. but the fact that he was adopted. And I remember really at that point, I think my fascination with Africa and a curiosity about who his family were really kicked in. And never really left me. And when we were about 10, my dad sat down with us and said to Frankie, do you want to know anything about 
your biological family, your African family. And, you know, we don't have much information to go on, but whatever we have, we have here for you. And my dad was adopted himself, so he kind of understood about the psyche of of the adopted child. And Frankie was very defensive. He was so oddly incurious about his background at that stage when he was 10. And he he sort of turned around and said, I don't want to know anything about them. They didn't want to know me. I don't Mm. want to know them. I don't want to know anything about Africa. I'm Scottish. And he was almost in tears. And so my dad just closed the folder and said, that's okay, Frankie. You know, whenever you're ready, if ever you want to know anything, and if you don't, that's fine too. And looking back, I think he was maybe scared that maybe, if you think about from a 10-year-old's mind, he's maybe thinking, I'm going to get sent back to Africa. To, oh, that makes know. sense, yeah. You know, I, I don't want to go. I don't, I want to, I love you. You're my family. I don't want to go to a country I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and if one family, if he felt that one family gave him yeah, up, and he, family, he belonged to us. Yeah. He, we loved him and he loved us. Up. That makes sense. And so, no, and that so, makes me sad for him. I know. So the folder was shut and that was it. And then, like I say, once my family died, my parents had both died and I inherited the, the, the paperwork, I was as nervous opening that as I think he would have been. And I know that as he got older, just before he died, he had started to become interested in finding out about his family and had hoped that one day he would go to Uganda. Mm. So he had changed when he got older and unfortunately he he then died. So I was the one then left to look at the beginnings of Frankie's life and who his family were. What I uncovered was very little because like I say, there wasn't a lot to go on in sure. those days, but I had a name and I had a, a details of what she kind of height and you know a name and where she had been studying and she'd been studying in Belfast and then had come over to Scotland to have the child in secrecy and then gone back to her studies so I I I had started to do some searching on the internet and really wasn't getting anywhere and the leads were everything was going cold and so I ended up sitting down one day and starting to write a fictional book very loosely based on this mother that, that this woman who gives up a and adopt, you know, a black, a black child into a white family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then returns to Uganda during the reign of Idi Amin. So I started to invent this woman and create a life around her. And it was just, I guess, my way of coping with grief was always sure, to write. Course. Oh, that's neat. So I was obviously still dealing with, with the loss of his death. And then that book, I had a major agent interested in the book and I needed to then go to Uganda just for research and to make sure everything was right. Mm-hmm. And uh I had had so many delays going to Uganda, I felt I wasn't meant to go. I was beginning to think that God of the universe just didn't want me to go. I really, I mean, I can't tell you how difficult it was to actually get there, the blocks that came up. But when I actually got there, 18 years after his death, it was as if the universe, God, whatever, had planned that journey my entire life. That's amazing. The synchronicity, the coincidences, nothing short of miraculous. Mm. And I ended up finding his family. That's amazing. It wow. was just, I, I mean, that's why I've now written the real story and all of how that unfolds is in the book, obviously. It's just miraculous is just the word that I could best describe that journey. The chances of me finding his family in a country of 43 million people, mm. the law of probability would oh say Oh my no. gosh, Yes. And you know what I love about this story? I mean, so many things, of course, but the whole thing of when those closed doors happened, you had the tenacity and you kept pushing through it and, yeah. and you didn't give up. 
And I in did. that, you were able to accomplish your goal in meeting his family or your family as well. Yeah, it was partly, I think, I don't know whether I partly surrendered to it. I thought, okay, I have put this out there. I have been praying about this, mm-hmm. meditating on it for such a long time. I have to trust that you're listening. I mean, I do a lot of, of you know, trying to connect with yeah. the spiritual realm. Yeah. Meditating, praying, of course. Yeah, I use that a lot. It's what's helped me really get through an awful lot of grief because there has been a baseline of grief run mm. throughout most of my life. And so it really has brought me to a greater consciousness of, of mm-hmm. the supernal realities, if you like. Sure. Um, and so I, I use that to connect a lot. And I really, I didn't ever, I still got the feeling, yeah, you're going to go. But it was like almost it was out with my control mm-hmm. and I had to kind of let go. And and there was little signposts along the way and, and kind of cosmic nudges or whatever I call them <laughs> that I was feeling like, yeah, this is going to happen. I'm on the right path, but I just have to surrender a bit mm-hmm. to the universe and, and it's timing. Yes. Which is quite hard to do. Yes. Not always our timing. <laughs> Especially and that's when you really want to do something <laughs> and it's like, nah, not yet. Not yet. That's what um, I find for myself is when I really want something, I'm like, oh man, I have to learn patience again because apparently that is my the thorn in my side. <laughs> I always yeah. have to be learn patience, and it's not yeah, something we've well, all got so. the thorns, haven't we? <laughs> but gosh, you wish you could pull them out. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Sometimes they seem to be just there. It's like certain people seem to attract certain things. Like yours is obviously patience, but I'm I'm not great with it either. But That's I've funny. really had to, I guess learn and that really taught me that and there is a continual thread that connects us there is no doubt after death there is a continual thread Mm -hmm. that connects us the fact that I found that family you know really you know I shouldn't have but I did and and that has now led me on to an an even greater path of working with children there with vulnerable children and women and building a school for creative arts and, and starting the Star Child Charity so I think God or whoever, you know, whatever you want to call it, the universe, um, I had a bigger plan when mm-hmm. Frankie came into my life at 13 months of age. And we only have a couple more seconds, but when, when, I, when I reflect on that, that what, what a beautiful thing of when you were children and all of a sudden that was really your purpose and your plan that was, that was going to mm-hmm. roll out and you had no idea. And just to see how the legacy of Frankie and what he instilled in you, what your Ugandan family instilled in you, the charity you've done. I mean, that was such a powerful thing. And, and like I said earlier, I think that one of the biggest takeaways is regardless of what life throws at you, trusting your heart and your gut of, I know I'm supposed to go in this direction, regardless of life circumstances. And holding fast to that is such a beautiful thing and able to be on the other side of that today. Yeah, I think so. I think so many people when when grief hits or trauma, tragedy, whatever hits, you know, it, it's how you, you're, you're never prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And, but it always brings about a metamorphosis. Yes. And, and it's going through that process, um, you know, almost like the, 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 the pains and the losses in life, they, they're almost, those painful junctures are almost a, a, an invitation, if you like, to mm-hmm. to open up to a more spiritual, how can I explain this? It's a gateway. It's a gateway. It's a gateway. Mm-hmm. That's a good word to use it. it. It gives you that opportunity if you will take it. Sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Rather than sit in a pool of victim mode. Mm-hmm 
which so often is the case with 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 some people and sure. and you know i mean don't get me wrong i've had my pity parties but it, it's about um the griefs and and those painful experiences they open up a sensory experience that's different that allows you your consciousness to expand mm-hmm. if you're prepared to work with it and move through it rather than stay stuck in that yes. victim mode so it's almost like all of these those big traumas they do push you out of your comfort zone and and challenge the status quo of your life yeah. And through that transformation, it's like the healing, transcending, transforming. If you allow that to happen, your life can become much bigger. I love that. Even although you've lost, yes. you've lost people that you've loved, but but they're to me they're not gone. They are still with me. I feel like I'm almost still co-creating. Mm. Oh, I mean, I just beautiful. lost my partner this year as oh, well. I'm so sorry. Yeah, and so. Again, you know, I'm just, you know, trying to work through the, the pain of that mm-hmm. loss, but I know that that they're still there. Yeah. The, the, the physical is gone, but you can still have some form of relationship and, and also become, have a bigger relationship with that supernal world. Yes. And the spiritual realm, if you like. And I think one thing as well as we wrap up here is during grief or during t- trials and tribulations, it is important, just like you said, to go through that healthy grieving process. Yeah. However, absolutely. yeah. However, the grieving process is not a way of life because no. there's a way that grief, the, the loss of that person will always, will always feel. But if we stick in that grieving process, unfortunately, that, that does become a, a way of thinking and looking at life and, yeah. and we're not able to move to the next level of whatever that may look like. Yeah, there's no timetable on grief. It's mm-hmm. not like people say, oh, you'll get over it in you know, a year or whatever. This is going to be your life. Mm-hmm. You, you have changed at a real cellular level. It's, it's a physical process as well as an emotional process, grief. And it's learning to live with that rather than thinking one day I'm going to wake up and feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And get over it because you don't really get over it. You learn to live with it and it shapes who you are, mm-hmm. transforms you. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just working, working with it and rather than just sitting, giving it the power to overwhelm you. Yeah. Um, and there's days it does. There's days it does. Certainly. There's no doubt about it. And just just. Just love them, sink into a big bathtub of grief. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I do, I do. On, on days, I just have days like that, but I know that I've, I'm still living, so I, mm-hmm. I, I get up There's, and I go on with it. And yeah, there's still a purpose and a plan for your life. Yeah, absolutely. Michaela Foster Marsh, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show. <laughs> I've loved this. We could literally, you and I, we have so much in common, we could literally talk all day. I know, I really enjoy talking to you. It's been <laughs> thank great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I love your energy. Oh. I really, really do. Yeah, I appreciate it's that. It's so good, so good. <laughs> if I want to find out more information about you, about your book, Star Child, and as well as your charity called Star Child Charity, where would they find this information about you? Um, MichaelaFosterMarsh.com. Um, you'll get all information about myself, my music and writing and StarChildCharity.org. And you can reach out to me on both. There's links to emails. Um, so I'm very accessible if you want to, to chat Wonderful. <laughs> find out more. Well, my listeners also know that if they can't find the information in any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifeology.com and the show notes will direct you to Michaela Foster Marsh. Once again, thank you so much for being an awesome guest on my show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, James. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap 
watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.